0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast, we believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Take a minute to share the broadcast. Uh, we're going to talk about something most people don't even think is true. But that is the fact that there is a power of hate, a godly divine power of hate. and We're going to talk about it today on the broadcast, why you need more hate in your heart, how to harness the power of hate. It's not an evil thing. If done correctly, it's done well and it's godly. There's an anointing to it and spoiler alert, if you hate properly, then there's an anointing released as you hate properly. I'm going to show you that in the scripture today, uh, and it's going to blow your mind. James Blanchard coming to Florida for four days tonight. Where are you coming, James? Where are you going to be? Orlando, Tampa, Miami, hopefully not Pensacola, Jacksonville. <laughs> Jessica Arnold, what's up? Good to see you today. Linnean Lakeham in the house. Uh, yes. Emperor Palpatine was onto something in Star Wars. He understood the power of hate. <laughs> oh, that's that power. That was the best Palpatine you're going to get. Orlando, enjoy yourself, man. I love you. We're going to jump in. Um, I'll do announcements at the end because I want to get to this. It really is. Um, this is really something that I've thought about this for a while. I've had notes on this for a while, but uh, I'm going to show it to you in scripture you know, one of the things that, um, really it, it's bothersome to me, it, it feels annoying to me is when you have people that are just, uh, non-committal to the point that they're just kind of blah about everything. Do you know what I mean by that? It's kind of a weird thing to say, kind of blah about everything, but it's like, they're, they're not extremely for it. They're not extremely against it. They're just kind of like, Whatever. You know that there's nothing worse than just being around like uh whatever kind of people that they're they're not excited about one thing, they don't hate another thing. It's like I knew a guy once, hey Zach Wilson, my brother's in the house. Love you, man. Um, I knew a guy once that I won't say his name, but it rhymes with Jonathan Juddlesworth, and um wouldn't even play uh video games against you unless you were a trash talker. I thought that was interesting. Remember that when we were young, Jonathan, my cousin, wouldn't even uh, play video games against me unless I was a trash talker. He wanted that kind of victory. He wanted that kind of rivalry. So it was like uh, if I was going to play Madden against him or FIFA or whatever, if I was like, oh, you know, you know, I'm not that great at that game. You'll probably beat me. He's like, well, then I don't want to play you then. I, I don't want to play. I'm not playing if you're going to if that's if that's the attitude. He wanted a true uh, battle royale, if you will. He wanted to be with somebody that was passionate. I'm going to beat you. I've got this, whatever. I understand that. I understand that thought process. There's nothing worse than being around people that are just blah about everything. They don't really care. They're just like wishy-washy about everything. It's like passion drives everything. You know what's interesting is um, passion draws people. I don't know if you know that. Passion draws people. One of the things that's interesting to me, you could have somebody that's extremely smart, knowledgeable, wise about a subject that's just not necessarily that passionate about it. Maybe they're passionate to study it for themselves, but not that passionate to share it with you. Wait, just got back from Wuhan, Um, (laughs) Wuhan district of China. Uh, I promise it's not COVID, um, Facebook, don't turn me off, uh, <laughs> but they might be, they might be passionate to learn it for themselves, but not that passionate to share it with you or, or to communicate it to others. Then on the other hand, thank you, Leslie. On the other hand, you might have somebody that is, um, not really that knowledgeable so they've got some knowledge, but not extremely knowledgeable like the other person, But they're so passionate to share what they do know with you. They're so passionate to to communicate that to others. Let me tell you, those people will draw others to them because passion draws. Do you realize that the other person could even be that much more knowledgeable, could be like literally could be an expert in that field, but because there's no passion behind what they say, you don't, people don't listen to them. They don't want to listen to them. Um, Lynn <laughs> Ann said, bless you. Had to wait till my ears were done ringing. Did I sneeze right in the microphone? I'm sorry about that. Aaron said, good morning, sunshine. Um, <laughs> so think about this. Have you experienced it ever? Have you ever experienced it with like a teacher? Maybe at school, whether it was, um, you know, in high school or college where you might have had a teacher, very knowledgeable, a professor, very knowledgeable, but their lectures they droned on and on and on it was like they were it was like even they were bored with the information like and so you know in the 1700s there it's like it's like the guy from Ferris Bueller you know you watch watch that in what way does the authors use of the prison symbolize you know, it's like You don't want to listen to it. Uh, But then you've got a teacher or a professor or whatever who loves their subject, who's passionate about their subject. They may not even be the most knowledgeable person about that subject, but their passion sets you on fire for that subject. I was just talking uh, to a friend of mine who is going for his PhD right now. And he was saying, uh, there's a, a man he recommended to me. That since I think retired, but wrote several books. And he said, this man, not only the, the one of the smartest, he said, but this man impacted my ministry and my life uh, like nobody else ever. And to this day, he's still talking about that man. He's still talking about how he impacted him, how he touched him, how his teaching, like lit him up for the subject. There's a difference. Passion makes a difference. And for those of you that are watching this morning, I want you to put it in the comments. Passion makes a difference. Passion makes a difference. It absolutely does. Unlike the passion translation, which makes no difference. (laughs) No, I'm sure there's people out there that it's been, you know, whatever. But again, TPT, no difference. Um, (laughs) Passion makes a difference. Passion in your life makes a difference. And um, I want to deal with that because... Passion on both sides of the spectrum. Things you love, things you hate, right? It'll, it'll come out. If you start talking to somebody about something they love, all their passion for that thing comes out. I know, what you're, I, I know you've been there. You've, you've dealt with this. You start talking to somebody about something they love and boom, it's like you hit a vein of gold. They start talking. They're animated. You talk about stuff they love. They're in it, man. But then the same thing can happen when you start talking to somebody about something they hate, something that annoys them, something they can't stand. Oh, they go off. Then they start telling you, man, I can't stand that. You know what happened last time I was there, blah, 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 this, that, and that. And, and they go off. If you strike that nerve of something they love or something they hate, what happens? They instantly begin to get passionate in that conversation about that thing. Right? Right. And and passion matters, passion drives us. It drives us. Think about this now, passion drives us. Love will drive you, hate will drive you. Both those things drive us. It's very true. Whether people want it to be true or not, want it to be good or not, that's the case. Passion drives you, love will drive you, extreme love, extreme hate. They both drive you to take actions. And that's passion. That's passion. And so uh, I want to deal with this today. And some people think that all we need is love, love, love. But the Bible teaches that there's the other side to it. You can't love one thing without hating the other thing. You have to love. If you love one, you'll hate the other. Um, and so the Bible does teach that. and We'll talk about it. But passion makes all the difference in the world passionate people that will go after their agenda. See, that's the thing is if you remove passion from anybody, any uh, subject, whatever it might be, you know what will happen? Oh yeah, no, incognito. I'm going to show you today what I mean by that. In fact, Jesus hated, and I'll show you that in the book of Hebrews in just a moment, but Jesus hated the Bible teaches that he hated And you have to hate the right thing. It's not about prejudice or prejudices. It's not about people because as I'm going to show you in a minute, we're not called to hate people. We love people, but there are things that you should hate. And Jesus hated certain things. King David hated certain things. And so whatever you might think you're wrong. So just stick around, you'll learn something, but you have to hate the right things. The Bible teaches it. Jesus hated King David hated, and I'll show you that. There's power in that because there's power and passion. If you love the right thing, you'll hate the right thing. Seriously, put that in the comments. Extremely important to understand it. If you love the right thing, you will hate the right thing. If you love the right thing, you will hate the right thing. Absolutely. And so I want to show you this from the scripture. Because it's extremely important. Now, first, we'll deal with the first half of this, which is we don't hate people. You don't hate people. You're not called to ever hate people. In fact, you love people no matter who they are, whether they're saved, unsaved, doesn't matter. In fact, if you look at the two commandments of the New Testament that Jesus gave us, they are love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. And what's the second and love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you understand the old Testament versus the new, if you love people, the way Jesus commanded you to, then you will keep all of the 10 commandments. You won't break the 10 commandments If you truly love people, right? Because I don't have to worry about each individual one of the 10. If I'll do the one Jesus said, which is love. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to uh, lie to him. I'm not going to bear false witness. Uh, I'm not going to do any of those things. I am going to treat them in a way that Jesus would treat them. And so that's the key here is that the Bible says, now I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to give you these scriptures so that you can mark them in your notes so that you have the references for yourself, but we'll begin in first John chapter four and verse 20. Uh, and the Bible says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. So stop right there. If anybody claims to be a Christian, if anybody claims to love God and hates his brother for whatever reason, whether it's be, whether it be for their skin color, their, what nation they've come from, their economic status, no matter what it is, uh, you know, their political worldview, whatever, whatever it might be. If you hate someone and say you love God, the Bible says that you're a liar and that the love of God is not in you. Now look at this. Let's go further for he do, For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so this scripture is very clear that you cannot belong to God. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot be on your way to heaven and hate people for any reason. There's no reason that you can hate people. See, because it takes you out of the command of love. Say, so, well, yeah, but a, he's a, he's a rank sinner. Yeah, but the Bible teaches that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation that turns a sinner into a saint. It brings somebody from death into life. It takes them from darkness into light. So think of it this way, because you don't know who God's people are. Imagine this now, the power of the gospel can change any person who believes from an unregenerated sinner into a kingdom believer. And because I don't know that who those people, I can't judge people because I don't know what's in their heart. Notice this. I've got to treat every person as a potential brother in Christ. Think about that. I've got to treat every person as a potential brother in Christ. Doesn't matter. Even if they're from another religion, What do you think? People have never converted to Christianity from another religion. Of course they have. They do it all the time. In fact, did you know that the the, the most recent statistics show us that we in Christianity, Protestant Christianity, have more uh, converts from other religions than any other religion does in the world. Think about that. I'm going to say it again because that's a huge thing. We have more converts into Christianity from other religions than any other religion does in the world. You know, we have more Muslims becoming Christians, more Hindus, more Buddhists becoming Christians, new age, whatever it might be, you list them. We have more, according to the most recent statistics, than any other religion. So it's not just that we're seeing more converts from unbelievers to believers, which we are, but we're seeing more that are actually transitioning from another religion into Christianity. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing so don't act like because somebody's of this religion or that religion that you know they're our opponent and they could never they could never be a Christian they could never be a child of God it's not true it's not true by any means the gospel comes to all men and treats all men the same so when you understand that you begin to realize whatever religion you may currently identify with doesn't matter it doesn't matter <laughs> Who is this incognito moron that keeps just like smoking crack? Block them. Has no no brain and no desire to learn anything. So understand this. It doesn't matter what religion someone's coming from has, has no bearing on the gospel. Has no bearing on the gospel. If it's a Muslim, Muslims can be saved. If it's a Hindu, Hindus can be saved. I was speaking to... Um, it's true AJ many times converts from other religions make some of the best Christians um, it's very interesting I was in South Africa and uh, when we were at the faith on fire conference I was uh, speaking with a man he was also speaking um, and he's a he's a an Indian man his family's from India but his father was a Hindu priest and so he was telling me about Hinduism and of course how their family converted but <clears throat> He was, um, he was showing how even Hindus, you know, whether they're, they're in that religion where they're serving, you know, you have to remember 10,000 different gods. I mean, how in the world are you going to remember 10,000 different gods, but there's so many thousands of gods, uh, in, in the Hindu religion, but look at them. Their family converted came into Christianity. Now he's a pastor that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, um, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so here's, what's crazy. Uh, You know, you, you, look at that. It's like a perfect example just now is that just because we love all people doesn't mean that we, uh, treat all people the same. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that, especially within the church. Let me break that down quickly. The Bible says that we don't treat all people in the church the same way. So If you have somebody that's rejecting instruction, the Bible's very plain on that. The Bible says that you warn them once, you warn them twice, as I did with that fool that was in the comment section. You warn them once, you warn them twice, you try to get them to hear the truth, hear the gospel. If the Bible says, if they're still causing divisions, if they're still, uh, at odds, if they still are in a place where they disagree, the Bible's very clear. Not only did Apostle Paul say it once, he said it multiple times, you disassociate yourself from those people. I talked about it yesterday, how finally Pastor John Piper had to have the elders of his church and he himself disassociate himself or excommunicate his own son from the church because he would not uh, adhere to the faith, considered himself to be an atheist or an agnostic, whatever it might be. And, uh, how heartbreaking for him, but you have to obey scripture. You know, if you've got people causing divisions that are bringing hindrances into the church, they will not listen to correction. They'll not listen to the word of God. You don't just let them stay around for 20 years causing problems. You send them out. And, and Paul said, you turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their soul. The Bible says it's, it's like a three strike rule. You warn them once, you warn them twice. And if they still will not listen then you do not have anything to do with that person, the Bible says, not anything. You treat them as a wicked person, the Bible teaches. Doesn't mean we don't still pray for them. Doesn't mean we don't still hope that God would turn them uh, from their wickedness, but you don't spend 30 years of your life banging your head against a brick wall for people that won't listen to the word. You don't do it. They're either going to listen to it or they're not going to listen to it. And if they have other things to say, God bless you, go and do your own thing. Go and do your own thing. And so it's very, it's very important to understand that although we love all people, we just don't, love doesn't mean you let people do whatever you, they want to do. That's, that should be evident and self-evident. Love does not mean you let people do whatever they want to do. You can put it in the comments section. If you want to love doesn't mean letting people do whatever they want to do. Can you imagine me saying, well, I love my kids. So I just kind of let them do whatever they want. no. That would that that would be proof I don't love them. That would be proof I don't love my children. Oh yeah, you know my kids. All they want to eat is you know candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you know I love them. I want to see them happy, so I just let them do whatever they want. Uh, yeah. Imagine that when their teeth are rotten out of their head, they have no uh, physical development. They're they're obese at childhood because all I do is fill them with Coke and all I do is fill them with candy and sweets for every meal of the day because that's what they like. It's what they want because I love them. I just want them to know. No, that's not what love does. Love doesn't mean letting other people do whatever they want to do. And so in the same way, Uh, Lisa says, how do you handle people who want to preach God when they want to and not listen to you any other time? Same way, same way. If they will not adhere to the scripture, Lisa, if they won't live according to the scripture, then you, you warn them. And especially true for spiritual leaders who many won't do this anymore because they don't have the cajones to do it, but they're they're more worried about offending people than they are doing what's right and doing what the Bible says. But you warn them once, you warn them twice, and if you've got somebody that's literally um, belligerent about it and will not listen to instruction, then you excommunicate them. You send them out. Say, don't come back again. I'll tell you, we've done that more than one time. (laughs) We've done that more than one time. Go and don't come back. And if you do come back, the police will be here to escort you off the property. So that seems harsh. Yeah. Well, that's because people are uh, really... Um, rebellious. The flesh rebels against the things of God. The Bible says the flesh rebels against the things of God. We've had to do that. I remember when I was on staff with my uncle, pastor Terry Shuttlesworth, we did that multiple times. People thought they're going to come in, just do whatever they wanted to do, abusing the sheep. And I truly mean abusing the sheep, attempting to abuse the sheep. You send them out and you tell them, if you come back again, then we will have, and I've had, I've been there when the officers came And often they were surprised to find it wasn't a public gathering that all church gatherings are private gatherings. And if we don't want you there, you don't, you, you, you don't, you can't be there. And the, the officers escorted them off the property with fumes coming out of their ears tough because that's what the Bible teaches. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. You warn them once, you warn them twice, but if they will not see, because here's the thing, true love. If I'm the head, for example, if, if, if those, if I was the pastor and those of you watching today or listening, were my congregation, and I'm supposed to be the guardian of the sheepfold. This is what Jesus cares about, His sheep, his lambs, He loves you. He cares about you and he wants you protected. So what good would I be doing you as the shepherd of your fold if I was teaching you and all this, but I just allowed wolves to constantly come in and abuse the sheep and destroy the sheep. It'd be horrible. Well, what, what did Jesus say to Peter? Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Then the third time Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. So he said, you're, The truest proof that you have love for me is that you will feed and care for my sheep and my lambs. That's the truest. You know why? Jesus loves his sheep, loves his lambs. So what good would it do for me? to be your spiritual leader, but I did not protect you from what I could clearly see is abuses in the body. We had crazy stuff that, you know, tried to pop up. You deal with it. You don't ignore it. You deal with it. You throw it out and you warn and you correct and you rebuke. It's funny to me how in in the modern day era, thanks to the seeker sensitive, stupid church movement, which is absolutely stupid, by the way. And I don't know how no one could see this blows my mind, how blind people are. I'll say it again, very plainly. The seeker sensitive church movement was based on stupidity. It was stupid. You know, the, the end goal that they wanted to have happen was a good goal. Of course, we want churches to be full, but not at the expense of doctrine, orthodoxy or the truth of God's word. Not at the expense of correction and reproof, not at the expense of basically watering down Christianity to making it anything you want it to be so that people are comfortable. That's stupidity. You might as well not even be a church. You might as well not even be a Christian. And so they sacrificed orthodoxy and they sacrificed doctrine and they sacrificed uh, the strength of God's word so people wouldn't be offended. It's exactly what they did. It's the same deceptive spirit behind the hyper grace movement. That's exactly right. AJ exactly right. It's stupidity. We don't want people uncomfortable. Tough. The gospel makes people uncomfortable. You think sinners are going to come in and hear that your sin is sending you to hell, that you are dead spiritually and you need a savior. That's not a comfortable message to hear. That's not a comfortable message to hear. It makes a person uncomfortable. But what do you do? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we've sacrificed orthodoxy. We've sacrificed doctrine. We've sacrificed truth. And we've sacrificed uh, le- strong leaders who, who will correct and reprove so that people could be comfortable and feel hip in their little entertainment-based church. It's stupid. Meanwhile, people are on their way to hell. And just because, so notice this, if you know that what love truly does Love sets parameters, right? So what do I tell my children? I tell my children, you're not eating candy all day long. You're not eating, uh, you know, you're not, you're not eating Twinkies and, you know, junk food all day long. Margaret's asking on YouTube, when you say hyper grace, who are you referring to, please? I'm talking about that whole series of teaching. Uh, the hyper grace movement are those that believe that your actions no longer matter after salvation, that your sins don't uh, don't matter against you, that God doesn't look at your actions, He looks at what Jesus did, and you know what a Christian can, you know First John one nine is not even meant for Christians. We don't have to repent if we sin because Jesus blood has already forgiven our past, present, and future sins. You know much of the things that uh, Joseph Prince teaches about grace, they're erroneous, they're heretical. And, um, it's not scriptural and it's, it's damaging to believers. It's damaging to their fruitfulness and their lifestyle. And that's what it's proven to be. I mean, you can't argue that it's proven to be that. So you understand that if you truly love somebody, love sets parameters on a person. If I love you, the love wants your greatest expected end, right? If I love a person, I want to see them end in heaven, not hell. That's the ultimate love. So just because I don't accommodate your current situation doesn't mean I don't love you. For example, it's like me talking, talking about the LGBTQ community. I don't hate anyone in that community. Don't hate them at all. Love them. Love every last one of them. I want to see them in heaven. I want to see them saved and delivered, but the sin that they are currently in will send them to hell. And I don't understand why. Why? Um, you know, celebrity preachers have such a hard time saying these things when they're brought on these, uh, you know, national television shows, you know, Larry King back when he was on Piers Morgan back when he was on the view, Oprah, whatever it might be. Why in the world does a preacher have a hard time simply saying what the Bible says, about, well, you know, it's not for me to judge. And, you know, God looks on every person's heart. And, you know, I can't really say for sure. I'd rather have a conversation about... No, you preach the word with boldness. You know, they don't want their book sales to be hindered. They don't want their attendance to go down. And they don't want the controversy in the media. But how are you going to get around the fact that the Bible says Jesus prophesied and he said, I was hated first. And then all of you are going to be hated all over the world for my name's sake. So when you truly stand for this word, when you truly stand for the truth in love, in love, I'm not saying you hate people that are in sin, you don't, but when you tell the truth, when you speak the truth in love, it's going to garner hate from people with an antichrist spirit all over the world. And there's no getting around that. There's no, unless you're greater than Jesus, who none of us are, None of us are greater than Jesus. So as a result, since we're not greater than Jesus, and that's the point he was making, they hated me first, they'll hate you too. So if if he told the truth and was hated for it, we will tell the truth and be hated for it. And you understand, it's not because we hate people. We love all people. Again, I've not met one homosexual I didn't love, not met one lesbian I didn't love, not met one transgender person I didn't love. Uh, whatever it might be, whatever letter you fall under, I'm not. My, I, I'm not, I don't hate them. I'm not a hater. I'm not screaming at all of them to go to hell. And I can't believe that the heaven, you know, I can't believe that the heavens haven't opened and God struck you with lightning or the ground open and God sucked you into the flames of hell. I, I'm not that person and no Christian should be. A Christian should preach the truth in love. And the truth for every person is the same, that Jesus Christ gave his life Shed his blood for the remission of sins. And if you accept his sacrifice by grace through faith and you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved no matter who you are. There's no sin that's great enough to stop the forgiving power of Jesus Christ or uh, the, the dominion of his shed blood. There is none. There is none. And so we tell the truth, but the ultimate love is wanting someone to be in heaven for eternity. That is the ultimate love. And so love sets parameters. Love tells the truth. And if I truly love people, watch this now, because I'm teaching today on how you need more hate in your heart. If I truly love people, then watch this. I will hate what is destroying people. Look at this now. I will hate what is destroying people. And so uh, if we love our brothers and sisters, then we will hate what's destroying them. Now, let me take you. Oh, well, first, before I do that, let me, let me deal with this final thought, even from the old Testament about loving your brother or sister. Deuteronomy seven verses nine and 10. Listen to this. Know therefore, this is Deuteronomy chapter seven verses nine and 10. Know therefore that the Lord, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Verse 10, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Notice that when people hate God, He repays their hate. You don't repay their hate. He repays their hate. You see that? God is the one who reserves the power of vengeance for Himself. He's not asking you to avenge Him, He will avenge you. That's the part so many people miss. You're not a a soldier out avenging God, He's avenging you. You're called to walk in love. You're called to love even your enemies, the Bible says. So let's go further. Uh, If we're truly going to love what God loves, we've got to hate what God hates. Hate what's destroying people. Let me read you um, something here. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. Listen to this. Bible says, no one can serve two masters. This is a big point that you've got to catch. Nobody can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. Now this context, God and money. So the Bible's teaching here very plainly. If you love money, you'll hate God. If you love money, you'll hate God. You see that. So the thing, it's the spirit of mammon. It's the spirit behind it. It's not money itself. Money, money is an inanimate object. It's an inanimate object. It's not good or bad. It's whatever you make it to be, but it's that spirit behind it. The spirit of greed, the spirit of, uh, you know, it, it really, it's the lure of the world. And if you love the world, you'll hate the Lord. You'll hate the Lord. And it's the same here. If you love The spirit of Antichrist or sin, then you'll hate God. If you love God, you will hate the spirit of Antichrist and you will hate sin. You'll hate it. Notice this, I'll give you another one. We're called to hate wickedness. Watch. Watch this now. Jesus did it. This is quoted in Psalm 45 and verse 7, and it's also uh, quoted from the Psalms in Hebrews 1, 9. And I want to read it to you. This is the New International Version. Listen to this. Speaking of Jesus Christ, by the way, this is speaking of Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So there's the spoiler that I gave you at the beginning because Jesus loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Notice what happened. The Bible says God set him above his companions and anointed him with the oil of joy, the anointing of joy. So you hate wickedness. The Bible speaks about that, that it's important to know That you have to hate the spirit of this world. It's what's destroying men. That's what I was telling you a moment ago. Is if you love people, then you'll hate what's destroying people. I love this. Look at Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. He feared God. And turned away from evil, the Bible says. See, one of the things that happens is if we don't truly hate it, if we don't hate it, then we'll become okay with it. You'll, you'll find that out and you'll find it out very quickly. If you don't, if you don't hate it, you'll become okay with it. You'll become okay with the ways of the world, the spirit of the world. That's why everything's a slippery slope. I, I don't know if people realize this or not, but the average Christian is not in and of themselves super strong. That's why Jesus, even the disciples, they, they were with Jesus at every message, at every meeting, all of the things, and they were not super strong. Notice Jesus, he's praying, he's dedicated, he's consecrated. They're all sleeping on him. He has to wake them up and say, listen, watch and pray for what? The spirit is willing but what's the second line? But the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. And so this is why it's a slippery slope that you have to hate wickedness because your flesh, I was talking with somebody once and we, we were mentioning the verse of scripture in 1 first Corinthians nine 27 that Paul said, I put my body under on a daily basis. I put my body under on a daily basis. And we were talking and he said, you know what? Uh, it's probably more than daily. It's probably hourly because, you know, all through the day, your flesh is having opportunities to take over and do what pleases it rather than what pleases God. And it's a constant thing. It's a constant thing. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Your flesh wants to take control, wants to take control. So It doesn't matter that you've been saved 20 years, 10 years. Your flesh is still right there wanting to do what pleases it, which is why you're constantly putting your flesh under, which is why that any of that wickedness that you may uh, allow in becomes a slippery slope. Jesse said, and usually it's a subtle transition, and it sometimes starts with that indifference. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. So what happens is, like Jesse's saying, what happens is, is that people start to allow some things and then it gets more and then it gets more and then it gets more. So it's like, it's like drinking. That's why we don't touch it. It's because it's not. A, it may not be a sin to you know have a glass of wine or something, but you know what it is a sin to be? Drunk. But here's I had a, a discussion about this when I was in uh, Michigan this last time. Somebody was asking me about drinking, their Christian liberty, which somewhere along the line, I don't know when, I have a whole book outlined on this, but I don't know when it'll come out ever. But I had this conversation with him where I said, listen, think of it this way. I'm talking again, if you're wondering the context of what I'm saying, it's about hating wickedness, loving righteousness. So we know that to be drunk is wicked. But the question is this, did you ever think of this? Who determines what drunk is? I want you to think about that. Who determines what drunk Is. Because we know that being drunk is a sin, but what does that mean? Who determines it? Did you ever think about the fact it's different for every single individual? Let me give you an example. Now, we don't we don't drink and never drink and have never drank, but let's say for me and my wife. Uh, I'm like 235 pounds. My wife is, and I'm going on the extreme low end here because she's probably watching. My wife weighs 80 pounds. pounds. (laughs) Well, let's just say, for example, I don't know exactly how much she weighs, but let's say 115, 120. Okay. I'm through, I'm 235. She's 120. So let's say we both went to dinner and both had the same glass of wine. Is that going to affect her 120 pound body the same way it's going to affect my 235 pound body? No, no. Another thing. What if I've eaten today and she hasn't eaten today? Is it still going to affect us both the same? No. So uh, you you look at all these different factors that go into your body going towards inebriation. Who determines what drunk is? Let me ask you another question. Do you think the state that you live in, whatever state you're watching from or whatever nation, do you think your state has a, a stricter guideline on what drunk is than God does? say, so, well, you know, the legal limit, we talk about the legal limit, the legal limit. Let me ask you a question. I love how the, uh, the viewership starting to slightly drop off as I'm getting onto people's uh, favorite things. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Do you think the state has a more strict policy of what drunk is than God does? You can't drive a car at this blood alcohol level But you think God is the same as the state, the wicked state run by wicked people? I guarantee he's not. So the question I ask you is, why start down a road when you don't know the point when you're displeasing God? That's the point. It's that if I love God, I want to hate what's wicked because wickedness is the thing destroying the people whom we love. Our brothers, our sisters, those that are potential brothers and sisters in Christ. Wickedness is destroying them. And so you understand what I'm saying today is this, that if we love righteousness, we will hate what is wicked. I don't think with all my heart, I don't think that there's enough Christians in America or around the world that truly hate wickedness. Honestly, in my heart, I do not believe there are enough. I believe most people are okay with certain levels of wickedness. I believe that there, most people are okay with it. I'm talking about Christians. Most people are okay with it because they don't, it doesn't offend them. Doesn't offend their faith. Doesn't offend their life. Doesn't offend their spirit. They're okay with most of it. You know, you say, well, that's just the way the world is. And sin doesn't, does not offend people. It just doesn't. And so as a result They're not, that's why, why do you think so many preachers in America don't preach against sin? Why do you think? Because they don't think it's that serious. Their mind has been infiltrated with this um, um, thought process that really sin's not that big of a deal. And, And you know how I know, listen to some of the altar calls they give if they even give altar calls anymore. But listen to some of the wording of the altar calls that people give for salvation. You know, how many of you, you know, you're just tired of doing life alone. It's like, what the heck does that mean? How many of you in here today, you're just tired of doing life alone and you just want to be able to do life with somebody. You want to be able to feel his presence daily. Amen. It's like, what does that even mean? Is that repentance for sins? Is that confessing that Jesus is the Lord over your life? Is that uh, believing in your heart God raised him from the dead? And there's people that come down to these altars uh, at these, uh, I don't even know if you call them altar calls. I don't know what they are, but understand they come down. Who knows what's even happening? Nothing. What, What is that prayer doing? Nothing. Lord, I don't want to do life alone. If you're a sinner, and you come to an altar and all you say is, Lord, I don't want to do life alone. If you, I, I'd like to have a presence with me as I do life. What does that even mean? And I guarantee it's not going to be the Holy Spirit because he doesn't just come to hang with you as a sinner. You have to repent, as Jesus said. You have to confess that he's Lord. You have to believe God raised him from the dead. It's by grace through faith. And so you can tell that most preachers don't even care. And that's who I truly blame. I don't blame the people because it starts in our pulpits. But I guarantee you that the majority of preachers across America on Easter Sunday didn't even talk about sin. They rushed through their service so they could get everybody to the photo booths and out to the egg drop outside. I guarantee it. Because that's the draw. We want to make sure everybody gets their eggs. We'll make sure everybody gets their candy. We'll make sure everybody's happy. I I guarantee you, I bet you 70% or more preachers across America didn't talk about sin on Easter Sunday. I guarantee it. Because understand something. And I understand this isn't what draws everybody, but I don't really care, to be honest with you. Because this is what needs to be said. You've got to hate the right things. And one of the things we have to hate is wickedness. I'll tell you another thing. You've got to learn to hate, hate sickness. We've got to hate sickness. You know, Jesus, anytime he encountered sickness in the New Testament, he treated it like an enemy and destroyed it. He destroyed it, destroyed it. He never came across one person who had faith to be healed and was sick and said, you know what? I'm actually not going to heal you. My father put this on you for a reason. He treated it as, and I'll, I'll give you another point here that'll blow your mind. Go through and um, read every individual miracle of healing that Jesus did in the Synoptic Gospels. And then in John, do you realize that every, every person he healed that came to him in faith, but probably about one in four or one, or not one in four. Uh, yeah, one in four or one in three people that Jesus healed, He first had to deal with a spirit that was making them this way before he could heal them. Whether that be a spirit of infirmity, an unclean spirit, whatever he healed them from, one out of three or one out of four people that he healed, he dealt with the spirit first, which shows you that those things came upon their life from a wicked spirit. That's why he treated it like an enemy because ultimately sickness and disease are from the devil. They're from the devil. You can see that in Acts 10, 38, the Bible says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It was the devil oppressing people. It was the devil making people sick. It was the devil bringing these spirits of infirmity and unclean spirits, people that were demon possessed and it caused them not to be able to speak or here. And Jesus cast the demon spirit out and healed the person. That shows you it's the devil doing it. And because it's the devil doing it, you've got to hate the thing that brings oppression to brothers and sisters. You've got to hate it. You got to hate it. You know, it it makes me, um, blows me away actually is, and I've seen this. It's, it's almost like I've seen this throughout the years and it's proven to be true. I've seen, when people struggle with a long-term sickness or disease, and you, you tell me if you've seen this too, when people struggle with a long-term sickness or disease, especially in the church, it's like the devil sends them a person who just hangs around them, whether it be a, someone's caring for them or whatever, that basically it's like they pet that thing. It's like their life's purpose to be there is like the, the, Oh, let me take care of you. Let me do. And it's almost like that person sits there petting the sickness, petting the disease. It's like they wouldn't even have a purpose in life if that person wasn't sick. I don't know if you've seen that. I've seen it so many times. I can't even count anymore. I can't even count anymore. It's like the devil sends a person to keep that person sick. You know, we don't. You don't need, you don't need to be doing that. Let me help you. You know, that's not for you to do. You're sick. You know, it's like, it's like to keep that person in that place. And it's unbelievable. I've seen it so often and it blows my mind. It blows my mind. Sickness is never of God. It's not for the believer. It's not for the believer. It's wicked. It came into the world through sin. And Jesus treated it as an enemy. He hated sickness. He hated disease. He hated it so much so that he was willing to take stripes on his back. And by those stripes we're healed. We're not just healed of our transgressions and our sins, although yes we are, but we are healed of sickness and disease. We have a covenant with Jehovah Rapha. And I'm just telling you right now, you've got to hate wickedness and you've got to hate sickness and disease and you've got to hate, let me show you another one. This blows people away. You've got to hate poverty. Poverty's not from God. God is not the author of poverty. Poverty is destructive. Listen, if poverty's so great, then how come we don't raise money to impoverish more countries? You know, those countries are are too wealthy they're too well fed we need to actually raise money to uh, take thing, take resources out of their nation so more people will be hungry nobody's raising money to end uh, you know people being well fed <laughs> they're raising money to try to end poverty cuz even the world understands poverty is an evil thing kids going hungry is an evil thing i'm just i'm blown i'm blown away I'm blown away that people in the church, (laughs) Chad said, while I'm driving, but he meant to say driving. He said, while I'm drinking, (laughs) I love you, Chad. Right. As I was teaching on drinking a minute ago, I'm drinking and enjoying your teaching. He's driving everybody. He's drinking and driving. And so, uh, (laughs) it's an, it's a wicked thing. It's an evil thing. You know, it shows because God's the author of provision. Why would God reveal himself as the provider? Why would Jesus reveal himself as a provider in the New Testament? Why would he multiply the fish and the loaves? Why would he be the one who, when Peter asked, should we pay the temple tax? Go down, cast your line into the water. The first fish you catch, pull a coin out of its mouth. And it was more than enough. Pay your taxes and mine. It was more than enough for just Peter. It was enough for Peter and Jesus. Why would he allow and caused uh Peter's boat to be so loaded down in Luke 5 with fish that it was sinking and he called for his friends come over and help me they threw the excess the excess into his friends boat it began to sink i know these are narrative stories but it's christ showing us his nature and his character as the messiah he's a provider he's the multiplier He doesn't take from you. He adds to you. He doesn't divide you. He multiplies you. That's who God is. He's a a good God who knows how to give good gifts to those that ask him. And notice the context of Matthew 7 when Jesus is teaching on. We've got a loving heavenly father who gives good gifts. The context is not spiritual things, but natural. Which of you, if your son asked you for a loaf of bread would you give him a stone or a rock? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? Those aren't spiritual things. Those are natural things. Your heavenly father, Matthew 6, is the same. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? Those are natural things. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be what? Added, not taken away. God's not a God who takes it away from you. He doesn't strip you of your blessings and strip you of your provision and strip you of... It's like when oh, I hear pe- stupid people that don't understand the character and nature of God get up, give a testimony. Well, I had it all before I got saved. I had plenty of money before I served the Lord, and then I got saved, and God stripped me down to the bare bones. I lost everything. It's like, no, God didn't do that to you. God didn't do that to you. He's not in the stripping away business. He's not in the stripping away business. Remember this, nakedness uh, bore the meaning of shame in the Old Testament. When somebody was stripped, their garments were stripped away. It was a shameful thing. They didn't even want, Noah's sons should not have even looked upon his naked body. Look what the sons who backed in and, and covered him up, covered the shame, the nakedness of their father. No, Nathan being poor is not a sin. No more than being sick is a sin, not teaching being poor or sick is a sin. I'm saying it's not the will and plan of God. God doesn't make people sick and diseased, nor does he make people poor. He's not a God that strips you. He adds to you, nor does he make people sin. So understand the context. God's not the author of sin, nor is he the author of sickness, nor is he the author of poverty and lack. But it's not his will that you sin, it's not his will that you're sick, and it's not his will that you lack. And so you hate those things. See, why would we, here's the question, why would we be instructed to bless the poor, to give to the poor, to be generous to the poor, if it was God's will that they be poor? Why would Paul have been taking an offering for the Christians who were without in Jerusalem if God wanted them to remain without? That's the whole point. He said, "Here, here in Corinth, you abound. You abound uh, in, in, in you have financial blessing. We're going to sow a seed. We're going to give an offering, and we're going to bring it to the Christians in Jerusalem who are currently without, because God doesn't want them without. It's not God. It wasn't God's will for those Christians to be impoverished. That was the whole point of Paul receiving an offering, a collection to." T- actually take that love offering for the uh, Christians in Jerusalem. So anybody that teaches you, well, God, he wants some Christians to abound and he wants other Christians to be without. Well, if he does, why was he having Paul receive a love offering so that Christians who were without, if if everything's God's sovereign decree, why were those Christians who were without God was making a way for them to have? provision. He's a God that provides. He's a God that blesses. Christ is a multiplier. Christ is a multiplier. And we need to see this now. We need to hate depression and anxiety. Why? Why do we need to hate it? Because notice who the Holy Spirit is. Notice who the Holy Spirit is. He is the comforter. He's the comforter. What does that mean? The bringer of peace. He comforts you. He is the source of joy. Did you know the Bible says that Paul gave us this in Romans 14, 17. He said the kingdom of God is made up of three elements, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not what you eat or what you drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's Romans 14, 17. And so if that's the case, then think about this. If there's things opposing your joy, opposing your peace or opposing your righteousness, which we dealt with first, it's from the devil. Depression is from the devil. Anxiety, panic is from the devil. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity Well, then what did he give us? Power, love, a sound mind. So if it's attacking your sound mind, if it's attacking your peace, attacking your joy, it's from the devil. There's something that's truly called in Isaiah, a spirit of heaviness, or as Paul writes, a spirit of fear. So there is a spirit of heaviness. There is a spirit of fear. And we take authority over those things and we hate depression and we hate anxiety and panic attacks. You know why? Because the Holy Ghost is your joy. He is your peace. And so what we're saying here is this, is that if we receive and accept one, we're hating the other. What's the point? Think about it in this, in this aspect. Think of what a slap in the face that is to Jesus who was willing to be um, tortured and crucified to shed his blood, not just to remove your sin. But his ministry wasn't even finished until he said, I'm going to go to heaven. I'll ascend into heaven. I'll pray to the father and he will send you another comforter. Right? So his ministry wasn't done until the day of Pentecost when the comforter came and they were empowered and then they had joy and peace. The comforter had come, the one who would lead them and guide them into all truth And so when we sit back and say, well, you know, depression just comes on some people. You just got to understand that's how life is. You know, I'm just dealing with a chemical imbalance in my brain. What you're doing is slapping Christ in the face to say, no, I just have to accept depression when you've got the gift of a comforter and the one who brings joy. It's a spirit of joy. As I read to you in Hebrews 1, 9, the oil of gladness. Joy is an anointing. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's the oil of gladness. He has anointed you, I mean, I I couldn't be any more plain, anointing you with the oil of gladness, anointing you with the oil of gladness, that's Hebrews 1.9, anointing, how did it come? You hated wickedness, you loved righteousness, he's anointed you with the oil of joy, hallelujah, joy is an anointing. Peace is an anointing. And because it is, I hate depression. I hate anxiety. I hate anything that steals my peace. I hate anything that tries to steal my joy. I hate anything that tries to steal my, uh, my health, my divine health that Jesus purchased. I hate it. I hate sickness. I hate disease. It came from sin. It's an attack against the image and likeness of God. God didn't create sin, neither did he create sickness. So I want you to think about this. Think about this now. If that's the case, if we know God didn't create sin, God didn't create sickness, when Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden, did he create them sick? Did he create them poor? Did he create them in sin? No. Look at his original intention. In fact, he didn't even create them before creating a place to sustain them. That's a powerful point you got to see. I put that in our recent uh, Miracle Word U course on uh, divine prosperity, which is available right now at MiracleWordU.com. But let me just tell you, you got to get that course because it's some of the things people have never heard before. I'm getting messages. I don't even know that uh, i would never heard this at a church. i would never heard a pastor preach this. I've never heard this taught. It's our course on divine prosperity that's available now you can get it at MiracleWordU.com. And so you can see it on the screen. If you want to check it out, go to MiracleWordU.com and you'll see the newest course is Divine Prosperity. And, And I said that before he created a person, he created an environment of overwhelming provision to stick them in. That's powerful. That was his intention where they weren't created in sin. They weren't created in sickness. They weren't created in poverty. They didn't have depression. They didn't have anxiety or fear. They lived in a peaceful, joyful state, full of provision, full of health, full of strength, and they would have never died. And in the likeness and image of God, he created them. So sickness comes against the likeness and the image of God. And we hate it. And we hate it. We're not called. We're not called to make peace with our problems. I want you to put this in the comments and put it this way. Never, in all caps, make peace with your problems. In all caps, never make peace with your problems. That's so important. You got to catch it. Never make peace with your problems. Such a dangerous thing to do because the moment you accept them, is the moment you stop fighting against them, the moment you stop fighting the good fight of faith. You know, I'll say it this way. I'll, I'll do it on every level. What if we treated everything that way? Well, you know, depression and anxiety just come on people in this generation. That's just how life is. So you make peace with depression and anxiety allowing it to now have a part in your life. Okay. So now you're depressed and anxious, whether it be chronically or every now and then it's in your life. Let's go further. Well, you know, not everybody's going to be blessed financially. Not everybody uh, is, is going to abound. We just have to understand God. God wants some people poor. Okay. So there you go. You've made peace with poverty. You've made peace with just enough or not enough. So you won't push for greater, you won't sow seeds for increase, you won't move forward, you won't do what God's asked you to do, because you, 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 you don't even believe it. So you'll live, not only in depression and anxiety, but also in not enough or just enough. Well, you got to understand, generation we live, you know, sickness and disease comes on people, we have no control, we have no control over our bodies and what comes on us. You know, sometimes people just get sick for no reason, you just got to make peace. All right, so you're now willing to live sick. So sickness comes upon you. You're not even going to obey James chapter five. You're not even going to call upon the elders of the church who will anoint you with oil, lay their hands upon you and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. You won't even step out to obey that command because you've made peace with your problems. Well, we all get sick, brother. I'm just praying. God gives me the uh, strength to handle it. I'm just praying. God gives me the strength to deal with it. And that's the prayer they pray. That's the prayer they pray. And so. You're, you're okay with it, but you have to take it to the logical end. What about sin? Cause it all comes from the same place. Sin entered into the world. That's when sickness and disease and poverty and lack and depression and anxiety, it all entered through sin. So you have to take this argument to the logical end and say this as well. Well, you know, my flesh wants to sin. Everybody's we're all sinners, brother. Amen. We're all sinners. We're all sinners, brother. So I'm not even going to attempt anymore. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt to be free from sin. I'm just going to, you know, sin when I feel like it and do my best. And just, I'm just, you know, no, no, because that's the whole point Paul was making to the Roman church is that we're not, we're not supposed to live life saying, well, you know, if sin's normal, if sin's what the flesh does, then, you know, and if I sin God's grace, you know, he gets more glory because his grace abounds. No, he said, God forbid. God forbid, we don't say that about living in sin, nor do we, nor do we say it about sickness or, or poverty or lack or depression or anxiety. These things are attacks against the people of God and against the earth. And we stand in faith against them. You hate what's wicked. And those things that I just listed are wicked. And I'm not saying that the people who are dealing with them are wicked. Don't get that context messed up. It's just like in the Bible where the disciples said, um, about a man who needed a healing Lord, who sinned this man or his parents, you know, what Jesus answer was neither. So the disciples were trying to say that the reason the man was in sickness was because he was evil or his parents were evil. They made mistakes. They were in sin. That's why their son was sick or he was a sinner. That's why he's sick. What was Jesus answer? Neither. Neither his parents didn't sin and he didn't sin. That's not the reason he's sick. See, and so people think of it that way. We're not talking about the people. I'm not dealing with the people. You love people. You stand for people. You pray for people. You uh, encourage people. You lift people up, but you don't ever vilify a person because they're going through an attack of the devil. I don't vilify a person who needs forgiveness. I don't vilify a person who needs healing. I don't vilify a person that needs financial increase. I don't vilify a person who needs joy or peace. You pray for them, you stand for them, you encourage them, you lift them up, but you hate the thing that's attacking them. And here's where I started is where I'm gonna finish. If you don't hate the thing, see, cause you're on a mission, I'm on a mission to do what God's called us to do in the earth before it's too late. If we don't hate the thing, then we'll feel no urgency. Here's the key. Here's the key. We'll feel no urgency to go after the answer for the people. If we don't understand, for example, if we don't understand that sin is a killer and that Jesus is coming soon, and that only the gospel can save men, then what's the urgency to reach men with the gospel? What's the point? Why would we even uh, go out of our way to do it? If we know that sickness is destroying men and women, and that we have the power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to raise the dead, we've been called and commissioned as believers But we've got to be vessels of gold, as I preached yesterday, that we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. We have to put ourselves in position. We can't be like the disciples in a place of unbelief. We've not been praying. We've not been believing. We've not set ourselves in position to do the work of God. What's the urgency to fast and pray? What's the urgency to get the word in our spirits? What's the urgency to do any of these things? If we don't understand, I hate sickness and disease, and I want to see people healed. I want to see people heal? If I go on further, what's the point? What's the point? You know, I, I feel bad for pastors in churches that are are too timid to preach on the financial blessing of God. And there are many, because prosperity gospel has become a dirty word because people don't understand the Bible, and so. You know, you get mocked like you're some heretic because you believe God will uh, financially bless his children when the Bible teaches that he will, but they won't preach it because they're afraid of the persecution for the message. But you know what the, the result is? People don't hear the truth and they suffer. They suffer financially because nobody's taught them the truth. And you see, that's the case. If you don't have a hate for poverty, if you don't have a hate for lack, a hate for debt, a hate for it. It's not part of your covenant. See, and the same for sin. If you don't have a hatred for wickedness like Jesus did, what's the urgency of preaching the gospel? What's the urgency of pulling men out of the darkness and into the light? And so though we don't hate people, we hate the things that have been launched against God's people. We hate the agenda of the devil, the agenda of the enemy to destroy our generation. We hate it, and we work against it. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal weapons. We're not fighting the devil with guns or knives, missiles, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. This right here is more powerful than a sword, a machine gun, a missile, a bomb. This right here is more, more powerful. Do you know why Jesus didn't have to pull a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane? when a whole troop, a battalion of soldiers came to take him away when Judas led them there. And he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. They were all armed. But do you know why Jesus didn't have to pull a sword out? Because the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Ephesians chapter six, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And when he said, I am he, the power of his nature and his identity, the word of the Lord, the sword of the spirit came out of his mouth and the Bible says, and it knocked them all to the ground physically, not in the spirit, physically, they were all thrown backwards and knocked on the ground. Their swords did them no good. Their shields did them no good. He had the word of the Lord in his mouth. And when he released it, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. The only reason they took Jesus from the garden is because he let them take him. You can't murder the master. You can't bring into submission the creator of heaven and earth. He is all powerful. The only reason they were able to go through the crucifixion process is because he remains silent before his accusers. He's more powerful than any judge, than any high priest, than Pilate. He's more powerful than all of them. He's more powerful than the cross. The Bible even tells us at any moment he could have called for a legion of angels that would have come and delivered him from their punishment. But he stayed silent for you and for me because he hated sin, because he hated sickness, because he hated poverty, because he hated depression and anxiety. And he came to bring his people out And give us the power of His Spirit. I want to pray for you now. There's people coming in with prayer requests, grace, pray for my teens, deliverance from marijuana, all kinds of stuff coming in. Johnny Odell needed prayer. There's many prayer requests. And of of course, this coming Friday, we're having our communion and prayer and breakthrough service, and we're going to have you send prayer requests. MiracleWord.com forward slash prayer. I want your prayer requests for this coming Friday. Carolyn and I will be together. And we're going to be having communion. We're going to be praying for you and believing God for breakthrough as we begin this new quarter of 2021 and we're running. But let me pray for every one of you today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, don't let us be those who have no passion in our spirits. Don't let us be those that are uh, literally just wishy-washy about everything that we do. That we're not... Don't let us be people that have no urgency in our hearts. Don't let us be people that are uh, disconcerned uh, with, with what's going on in the world, with what's going on with mankind. Don't let us be those that are disinterested in your power and your presence, just gliding through life on cruise control. Don't let that be us. Set a fire in every one of us again today. Give us an urgency that Jesus is coming soon. The gospel must be preached. Give us an urgency to pray for those that are sick, to deliver the captives as we are commanded to do. Lord, I pray that you give us an urgency to destroy poverty and lack in our own lives and to be generous in the kingdom of God. For those around us that are dealing with depression, anxiety, allow us to rise up with the oil of gladness, cast off a spirit of heaviness and a spirit of fear. Use us, Lord. Use us before it's too late in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for your power and your glory that's upon us. Every person, Lord, that's asking for prayer today. I take authority over sickness and disease. Those that are dealing with it, be healed today in the mighty name of Jesus. Those that are dealing with bondage, addictions, invisible prisons, Lord, set them free today. Set every captive free by the power of your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. Now today, as we get ready, Lord to receive seed into the kingdom of God. Would you speak to every heart? Give them an instruction about a seed that they could sow today that would destroy poverty, lack, not enough, just enough, and bring every one of us into the overflow in 2021 in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, whatever the Lord tells you to do today, I would encourage you to sow the seed now take a moment to sow. The information's on the screen. You can use hashtag donate if you're on Twitter live or if you're on Facebook. Um, Of course, you can always go to our website, miracleword.com. All the ways to give are there. All the ways to give are there. You know, I know people are standing with us. Many have been, thank you, Janine. Many people have been standing, uh, largely. And I know more people are going to be Uh, Sowing large seeds, the Lord's speaking to people to sow significant seeds. And we're going to do something specific for you. Um, We're in the works right now, putting this together and we're going to get it to those this year that are sowing $5,000 or more as we're making the biggest moves we've ever made in this ministry. I'm putting together what we're calling the elite study pack, the miracle word elite study pack. And what that is, it's the three greatest Bible study resources that I've found for right now that we're including in one package with a custom box for everything we're putting together for you, um, which is the Life Application Study Bible, the Dakes Annotated Reference Bible, and the Net Bible with 60,000 translator's notes built in, as well as a couple of books I'm looking at right now to add. Jenna's looking at them. We're, We're working with Zondervan Publishing and InterVarsity Press Uh, I would like to get one of these, at least one of these two books in the pack with you on how to properly study scripture. The first book is called Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul and the other one, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. So both of those phenomenal texts on how to properly study the Bible the right way so that you're not taking things out of context and missing what the scripture is saying. But we're putting this together for people that are serious about seeing the gospel going forward. And so for people that are sowing $5,000 or more in uh, 2021, we're putting this together right now, the elite study pack. And this is, I'm so, this is probably most, one of the most exciting things we've ever put out for people that are a part of this ministry. I'm very, very excited for it. And uh, so I want to say thank you ahead of time. Now, another the Lord speaking to you. We've had people sowing $10,000, $15,000, $20,000. Do what the Lord's telling you to do. Maybe you're at the place uh, where you feel like all you can do right now is a thousand dollar seed, do what the Lord's speaking to you to do. I've had people write in and say, I'm excited. I cannot wait to release my thousand dollar seed. We've had so many people write, write that into us. Do what the Lord's telling you. And we appreciate it. For the month of uh, April, we're sending you this book uh, by Smith Wigglesworth. I believe it's the only book he ever wrote that's uh, entitled Ever Increasing Faith. And it's our gift to those that are at the monthly partnership level of $85 or more. And uh, this book will stir you. Here's a mighty man of God that raised 14 people from the dead, saw mighty revivals, not just in England, but around the world, truly. And uh, for those of you that have sown and standing with us this month at $85 or more, fill out the form at the website on the screen. And uh, those of you listening on the podcast, it's in the description. If you'll swipe up, you'll see the link in the description. You can do the same. Caitlin said, I need to reactivate my monthly giving. I think it ended last month. I should have done that today, but I sent Venmo. Thank you very much for doing that. You can always, um, Caitlin, if you have an account on the website, you can always log into your account and you can uh, make those changes. Or if you need to contact Jenna to help you to do it, you can do that as well. And she's happy to help anybody that needs to Uh, work on, on working with their account or whatever they have. He was a cool, unbelievably raised his own wife from the dead, just to say goodbye to her. (laughs) Smith Wigglesworth. What a mighty man of God. Absolutely amazing. Once again, new magazines about to drop. If you don't have a a subscription to a Miracle Word magazine, you can sign up today at miracleword.com forward slash live greatest edition we've ever put out. I say that every time, but it truly is. Um, Carolyn dropped a really strong article and there's some announcements in here that I can't, I'm holding my tongue, biting my tongue because uh, I don't want to say it until it's being released, but you're going to want to hear about these announcements that were breaking, breaking news, breaking news in the magazine. So get your copy. And if you need to update your, um, if you need to update your address, you've got a new address, please let us know so that we can do that. Really, really would appreciate that. Uh, again, this Friday's communion prayer service, breakthrough service, send us your prayer requests at miracleword.com forward slash prayer. Uh, we're going to be taking communion together. We're going to be praying together and believing God for miracles um, in your life as well. Tomorrow, got a brand new video for the kids, new Bible study. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be absolutely great. Am I missing anything at all? Nothing? I love you. Thanks for hanging with me today. If you didn't share the broadcast, take a minute to share it. I'll see you again in the morning, 1030. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.